Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. What's up, Revo? My name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. We're going to start out with a magic trick. You did not expect that, so even in the first 10 seconds of the message, I am exceeding your expectations this morning. Uh, I need a volunteer from the audience. You want, Tori, let's go. Come on. You don't need, we're going to cut somebody in half this morning. Yes! All right, Tori, tell everybody what your name is. I'm Tori. Okay, there you go, Tori. I want you to look at something. This is a real deck of cards. There's no tricks about this. I've got nothing up my sleeves because I'm not wearing sleeves, and so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put the cards in three different stacks, okay? Three different categories. Just count them out. Uh, 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 uh. Okay, so I want you to choose one of those. Is there three stacks right there? I want you to choose one of those stacks, this one right here. I'm going to flip it over, and what is that card? Four of spades. Everybody see four of spades right here? Okay, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put the cards together, and we're going to spell out your card name, the four of spades, and at, at the end, then I'm going to say magic, and there's going to be a big cloud of smoke. We couldn't do that. We couldn't afford it, so we're just going to have to <laughs> imagine it. <laughs> this is my first time. I've never done this before, okay? So, um, and your card is going to be on the very top. What was your card? Four of spades. Four of spades is going to be on the very top of the deck. How confident are you in me that I can do this? Mm, not very. Okay, all right. <laughs> Good, it makes two of us. All right, so what was your card? Four of spades. Four of spades. So let's spell out four, F-O-U-R, right? Uh-huh. Okay. Now of, uh-huh. O-F, that's okay. two. Not very good spades, okay. Spades, right? Uh-huh. S-P-A-D-E-S, okay. right? Now, so here's the deck. We're going to do magic, okay? So we're going to spell out magic, and I'm going to flip over the fifth card, and it's going to be your card, okay? M-A-G-I. Is that your card? Ah. Come on, man. I worked hard on that, man. Come on. Thank you very much. Y'all act like y'all can do that or something. Yeah, let me see y'all do that, okay? Here's what this is. This is, um, it actually has something to do with the message. Um, Our life, many people view their life as this deck of cards. We've got a lot of cards in our life, a lot of things going on. We've got family, friends, job, finances, work. But here's what we do. If you're a follower of Jesus in here and you're a Christian, here's what most Christians do. They want to keep God on the top, right? We want God to be number one in our life. We want to be on the top of the deck. But here's what happens. It's inevitable. It happens to even the best of people in here. Eventually, we try to keep God on the top. We try to keep him number one priority in our life. But let's be honest. Family, sometimes we have problems with family and maybe your spouse and we're like, like dealing stuff with them. Maybe your kids are going crazy. And, and then like job, you know you got to go to work tomorrow, right? It's Monday. Tomorrow morning's Monday. you got to go to work. And so job gets on top. And then like sometimes we run into financial stuff in our life. And, and that takes priority. And that's number one. And here's what happens. Inevitably happens all the time. Our life begins to fall apart. And we begin to struggle and we, we hit the wall and we have pain and discomfort and just, here's what happens though, we begin to look at our life and we realize something, we're like, oh wait, it's like God's not at the top anymore, like no wonder so many things are struggling, so we frantically pull through our deck and we're like, oh, okay, God, 
all right, got God back on top. Maybe you hear a good message or the band sings your favorite song. Oh, it's my favorite song. I'm so glad they sang it. And we're having a good time and we put God back on top. And we say, God, you're going to be number one in my life, top priority in my life. But here it happens again, Monday, and you're like, ah, your boss is yelling at you and work becomes top priority. And then like, you got a family situation and, and money and kids. And, and, and here we are. It's a, it's a constant cycle. It's a struggle for us to, to try to keep God at the top of our our life. And if you're not a Christian in here today, then you've got another top card, right? It's like you want your family to be the top card in your life. But here's what happens. You go to work and, and then finances and struggles and pains. And then you realize like your family's mad at you and you, you have all your priorities mixed up. And so you frantically go through the deck of life. You know, oh, okay. Psh, ah, family. Phew, back on top. All of us have a top card. But for followers of Jesus, that card is God. And here's our desire. We want to do everything we can to keep God at the top of our decks, at the top of our life, out of everything else that's going on. And I want to to challenge you on something. We're going through this series called Annual Growth. And the big question that we're asking ourselves is, how do I know when I grow? Okay, when you grow spiritually, you get on, or physically, you get on the scale, and it tells you that you've grown. Like if you grow in height, you can measure that, right? If you grow in finances, you can track that, look up how much money you have in your account. But how do you know if you grow spiritually? That's a really hard thing to try to determine. So we've been going over this series over the past four weeks, and today I want to talk about this. I want to see a transition in, in my life and in our lives. Instead of keeping God on top, What if we kept God in the center? Instead of our life being like a deck of cards in which we're in a constant struggle to make sure that the top card is always on the top of the deck, what if it was more like a wheel? What if our life was a wheel and God was actually the hub? I mean, think about like if you had a, a bike growing up, the wheel. There, there was a hub in the middle and all of the spokes came out of the hub. And then there was the, the rubber tire around the outside of the wheel. And here's the deal with a wheel. No matter what part of the tire is touching the road, the hub is always in the middle. You can turn that wheel forward or backwards or flip it upside down. The wheel could be rolling really fast or it could be going really slow or it could be a complete standstill. But guess what? In a wheel, the hub, the spokes are always in the middle. And see, our life is a lot like that. They're like there's, there's tread on our tires and, and everything is hitting life and we're going fast or we're going slow. And maybe it's a good day, maybe it's a bad day, maybe you have a flat tire day, like all the stuff that we hit. But listen, if we can move from our life being a deck of cards where we're in a constant struggle to make sure that God's on top, what if we moved our lives to where it was a, a wheel and God was at the center? I believe that if we can learn how to put God at the center of our life, then we're going to see some incredible growth and we'll be able to tell if we're growing spiritually instead of always being frustrated, always being in a panic, always hitting, hitting a wall in our life because we're searching for the God card and never to put it back on top. We're going to look at a story from the Old Testament today of an incredible woman by the name of Hannah. There are some great women of faith in Scripture. So we're going to give a shout out to the ladies today and tell a story about a woman named Hannah. If you have your Bible, you can open it up to 1 Samuel. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen, or you can look it up on your digital Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's always Bibles at the back table. We believe that God speaks to his, through His Word. I believe that book can actually change your life. And so if you don't have a Bible or you don't know where you 
you put your Bible or you can't find it or you want another Bible, grab one on the way out the door. That's just our gift to you. And so let's, let's look together at this, again, with this mindset of how can we make sure that God is at the center of our life instead of just a card on the top of, of a deck in our life. So here's, here's what Scripture reads. First Samuel, we're going to start in chapter 1, starting in verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramathame, Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, and Ephrathite. What? Say that two times fast. Verse 2. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Paniah. And Paniah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man... Elkanah used to go up year by year from his city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Once a year, his family would travel to this church and worship together, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day where Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions of meat to Paniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. Though the Lord had closed her womb. Pay attention to that. Though the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. Hannah's womb was not closed by accident. It was not closed by circumstance. It was not just some freak accident. It was a plan of God. The Lord closed Hannah's womb. Now let me give you some background on the culture that we find ourselves in. Let me tell you, this is not like biblical culture. So some of the things that that I want to share with you today are not like, I'm not saying the Bible says this is the way it should be. I'm just explaining to you what this culture is like. But in this culture that we find ourselves in, in the book of 1 Samuel, a woman's worth was determined by one thing, and that was her ability to have children, specifically boys. Every man wanted to marry a woman so that they could have a son to carry on their family lineage. And if you couldn't have children as a woman, you were worthless. In fact, if your husband found out that you were unable to have children, it was legal grounds for divorce. Again, the Bible's not teaching this. Like This is just the culture that we find ourselves in that, that this story takes place. And so here's the story. Elkanah finds out that Hannah is unable to have children. They've tried, but Scripture says the Lord has closed her womb. It's not like they didn't know how it works and didn't know what to do. Like it's not that they were waiting. It's none of that. The Lord closed Hannah's womb. It was in his plan, in his purpose, in order to do that in in her life. And so the story goes that once a year, Hannah would go up. And because Hannah was unable to have kids, her husband actually married another woman named Paniah, and she was able to have kids. But Elkanah loved Hannah so much He's like, man, we're not going to divorce. I love you. You're, you're my sweetheart, right? You're the apple of my eye. I love you so much, Hannah. <clears throat> and here's what would happen. They would go up to a church one time a year to worship and make a sacrifice to God. They would do a, a meat sacrifice, a burnt offering. And then Scripture says that after they worshiped, they would go and eat. That's how you know this was a Baptist church because right after the service, they're like, hey, let's eat together. It's going to be a covered dish luncheon, amen. And so here's the story. Here's the story. Wow. That happened. <laughs> Elkanah is cutting the meat. He gives a portion of meat, one steak, to Paniah and every one of her sons and daughters. But here's the deal. He hooks Hannah up. Scripture says he gives her two portions of meat. Let's go. Two steaks. Come on. Because he loved her so much. But also, he knew that Hannah was struggling with this idea. She was having a bad time with not being able to have kids. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a two-portion meat kind of guy. That may be hard for you to imagine, but I am. Anything that goes wrong with my day 
Uh, it can be a bad day, but if I were to come home and Elizabeth said, hey, we're grilling out steaks tonight, and I bought you two, that right there turned my day around right quick. I'm like, yes, man. Hey, this day isn't that bad after all. Like, I can get over it. I'm a double portion meat kind of guy. Hannah was not. Regardless of how much her husband tried to love her and serve her and do for her, provide her with this kind of extra way of showing affection, it, it, it didn't help Hannah. She was still in this idea of, am I worth anything? I can't have kids. And, and, and what's my identity? Who, who am I? And, and, and as a childless cult, in a, as a childless mother, a childless woman, in a culture where children were your sole purpose and identity, you know that must have been hard. You know she must have struggled with that just tremendously. And so... Her husband tries to make her feel better on a day of celebration, give her, gives her two ribeye steaks instead of just one. doesn't work. Hannah's still struggling. And here's the first thing that I want to see and notice from this story. If, if you and I want to grow, if you want to know if you're growing, then here's a, here's a great indicator of growth. Number one, your trust in God. Your trust in God. Hannah, in this story, despite a very difficult situation, showed trust in God. She did not trust in her husband. She did not trust in her uh, ability to have kids. She didn't trust in the circumstances around her. Her trust was found in God. Just because your, dif- your life is in a difficult situation does not mean that your trust in God has to waver. Okay, This is a common misconception. I, I-, I bet you've heard this before. You may-, you may believe this right now. But you may be thinking right now, Nathan, if my life is difficult, if I'm suffering, If I'm facing pain right now, then that is a great indicator that I am not in God's will. I'm not, God is not at the center of my life. You know what that means, Nate? That means he's the deck of cards and like God is somewhere at the back of the deck and I need to recalibrate. I want us to learn something from the story of Hannah. Scripture does not say that Hannah was being punished by not being able to have kids. It doesn't say that she did something by accident. It doesn't say that anything else. It said God closed Hannah's womb, inability to have kids, and that was God's plan. Here's what you and I need to understand. Just because you are facing difficulty and hardship does not mean that God is not at the center of your life. Don't automatically assume, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I, I hate my job, so I must not be in the will of God. I must not be, so I need to quit, right? I can't stand my marriage right now. I don't like the woman or the man that I'm married to. And so surely God doesn't want me to be unhappy. If I'm facing difficulty and suffering and distraction, then that means God is not at the center, so I need to do something. That's a common thing that we begin to think about when our life begins to be frustrated and we face those barriers and obstacles. But we learn from Hannah, just because you're suffering doesn't mean that you're outside of God's will. Just because you're suffering doesn't mean God is not at the center of your life. So don't fall into that misconception in that category. So here's what, here's what her husband does for um, They were on their way one day, one year, to worship at the temple in verse 6. And her rival, Paniah, the other wife, her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord... She used to provoke her. This is like soap opera stuff right here, right? I mean, you got one. Like, can you imagine how difficult it would have been for Hannah already? But now Scripture says, Paniah, the wife that can have a lot of kids, is poking her, irritating her, making fun of her. All, all, every year on this long journey, he's like, hey, uh, Hannah, what's up? Hey, I don't know if you heard, but over the last year, I had another kid. <laughs> 
And uh, the oldest one is on the honor roll. Yeah, smartest kid in the class, right? And then the young girl, she's, she's a two-sport athlete. She plays t-ball and, and peewee league soccer, so she'll probably grow up and get a scholarship. The youngest son looks just like Elkanah, just like her daddy, right? How about your kids? Oh, wait, that's right. You don't have kids. You need a, a lesson on that? Like, can you not figure it out? Or you need some help? I don't know why you're cursed or why you can't. I mean, can you imagine how difficult this would have been for Hannah? Scripture says every year, every year, she would hear this and she would have to face this. Year by year, it went over for a, a period of time. I want to share this with you. Just, just because God in, in the center of your life, when God is the center of your life, then your faith and your focus do not shift despite everything else around you shifting. Like, do you understand that's where we're at in our world today? Like, everything is shifting right now. Everything is changing. There, there, nothing is truth. Nothing is solid. But Scripture says this. We learn from the life of Hannah. When your life is centered around God, when God is here, not the, not the card on top, but the hub in the middle, then despite everything else around you shifting and changing, your focus on Him does not. Your trust in Him does not. It's a great indicator of our growth together. Here's how the husband, man, you're not going to believe how this husband, Elkanah, responds to this. Therefore, Hannah wept, the end of, the end of verse 7, therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And, Elk, and Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? And listen to this, this loser statement. Am I not more to you than ten sons? Now, I'm going to drop some marriage advice on you, fellas. This is going to be free of charge. You don't need to pay for this like you didn't expect this. Just straight up on top of it. Let, let, me, let me give you some two things that I want us to learn from Elkanah that can save your marriage. You can thank me later. Number one is this. If you ever have to ask your wife what the problem is, you already lost. Okay? You're already behind. If your wife is crying and upset and you have to come up to her and say, what's wrong? Like, it's over. You ever ask your wife that? She'd never been at a, a, a really difficult spot and said, hey, baby, what's wrong? <laughs> I have. <laughs> hey, baby, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Why don't you go upstairs? There are 17 loads of dirty laundry upstairs that haven't been washed yet. What's wrong? Have you seen the kids' rooms? G.I. Joe, Superman, and Batman are in the Barbie dream house. There's a sorority party going on up inside <laughs> our daughter's bedroom. What's wrong? What's wrong? You don't know what's wrong? I'm like, man, I'm never going to ask what's wrong again, man. Let me just give you some advice. If your wife is upset and crying and you don't know what's wrong, you better learn how to fake it till you make it and figure out without having to ask her. But he just said, what's, what's wrong? Scripture said for years she's been struggling with this. For years it's been on her plate. And all of a sudden her husband's like, hey, what's wrong? Come on, man. Come on. Second, second thing is this. The last sentence that he says. I don't know if you ever said this to your wife. I, I hope not. If you're still married, then you haven't yet. But here's what he says <laughs> to his wife. He says, Hannah, aren't I better than the 10 kids? You ever looked at your wife and she's having a bad day and it's, everything's falling apart, but you look at her and, she, and you say, hey, chin up, baby. At least you still got me. <laughs> That's a good way to get slapped. I'm going to tell you that right now. That's a good way to get slapped. Your wife's probably going to look at you and be like, yep, the one thing I don't want, God has blessed me with right now. <laughs> Praise God, man. He says, aren't I okay? You want 10 kids. Aren't I okay? Aren't I better 
Then any kids? You don't really want any kids. You got me, girl. Just stick with me. And that's what he chooses to say. But I want you to notice something about Hannah. Paniah is saying stuff that she shouldn't be saying. Husband is saying stuff that he shouldn't be saying. Everyone else is shifting and changing and trying to, to say things, to smooth things over. But here's what Hannah does. Keeps her focus and trust on God. Everything else is moving. Everything else is bad advice. Everybody else is saying things that are not helping her. But at that moment, Hannah shows some spiritual maturity and chooses to put her focus and trust on God. Despite everything else going on, this man has no clue what he's doing. But it doesn't change her. It doesn't affect her focus. So here's how she responds. Verse 9. Let's keep going. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Hannah walks into the church. The priest is sitting right there. The pastor is sitting on the, on the chair. Verse 10, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said this, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. First thing is our trust has to be in God, a great indicator of spiritual growth. Number two is this, man, when everything goes south, who are you communicating with? Hannah was communicating with God. There's a lot of family, a lot of friends at the dinner, a husband, maybe some other relatives. Hannah gets up, leaves, so that she can go and spend some time with God. Spend some time communicating with him. Scripture says she went to the temple. Now, in the Old Testament, the very presence of God dwelled inside the temple. So for us, it wasn't like she just went to church. For us, it would be she went to God. She began to pray and talk and call out to God. Not to others, not to her husband, not to the other wife, not to her kids, not to her mama, not to anybody else. But she began to communicate vigorously to God. I want you to pay attention to the emotions that we see in those verses. She was in pain, weeping bitterly. Year after year, she struggled with that. Here's another sign of spiritual maturity. In a, in a time where emotions are running high, are you going to remain focused on God or are you going to let your emotions get the best of you? Are you going to make your emotions cause you to make a decision, to say something that you regret, to, to go somewhere, to do something that's not what God's plan has for you? I, I love that despite being overwhelmed with emotion, Hannah decided that she would again go to God. See, I believe Hannah went to God even though she didn't even feel like it. Come, come on, put, put yourself in this position. Do you want to be praying at this time? Man, I've been in some places in my life, and this is a place where Hannah's life, where I'm, I'm struggling, I'm, I'm hurting, I'm facing, and some well-mannered Christian, I, I get I know what you mean, but some Christian comes up to me and puts their arm around me and says, hey, Nathan, brother, all you need to do is pray about it. Okay, let's pray about it. Like, I just want to punch that guy like that. Like, dude, I don't want to pray about it. Like, you may, maybe you never heard a pastor say that before, but, like, there are times in my life where, like, dude, I don't want to pray about it. I've been praying about it. I've been calling out to God. I don't have an answer yet. I'm tired of praying. How easy would it have been for Hannah to like whip around to that priest and say, dude, I've been praying for years. Years I've been asking God for this. I don't want to pray anymore. Like I'm tired of praying. I'm tired of no answer. I'm tired of not hearing anything. I'm tired of asking and asking and asking. And every year, same thing. I wish Paniah would shut up. I wish my husband would stop giving me two steaks. I wish God would just say something. I don't want to pray anymore. 
So thank you, but I'm done praying. If that would have been Hannah's response, after all she had been through, no one in this room would have, would have knocked her. All of us probably would have said, yeah, I mean, shoot, man, she's been praying for years. I don't blame her. Like, let her have a meltdown. You know, let, let, her, let, her, let the emotions get the best of her. You know, like, let her vent. Like, just let her, just leave her alone. Let her do what she wants to do. I mean, good grief. Is God ever going to answer? But that's not what Hannah did. Despite praying and being emotional and weeping, she kept her focus on, on God. What would have been a totally justified reaction in everyone else's mind didn't happen in her life. There was some growth happening for Hannah. This was a woman of great integrity and faith. And so despite that hard time, see, this is what happens for us. Emotions begin to pile up in our life, and, and, and we begin to get swamped to the point where, like, like, we're looking at our deck, and we don't even know where God is. Like, was God the joker, and we threw the joker away? Or, like, what, like God, where are you? But when God's at the middle, in the center, no matter how the wheel turns, no matter what you face, uphill, downhill, fast or slow, God stays in the center. And so your life is on point. Your life stays balanced. And this is where... Hannah finds herself in this story. Let's keep going in verse 12. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking of my great anxiety and vexation. Look at that reply. Hey man, I've been pouring out my soul for years. I've been bringing my problems and my pain and my struggles to God for a really long time. And she was pray, like weeping, praying silently. And the, the, the priest thought she was drunk because her lips were moving, but no words were coming out. And she's a total wreck. And he's like, well, you may want to pull back on the wine coolers, girl, so like slow down. She's like, no, nah, you need to understand something. I'm calling out to God, communicating with him even in my time of great pain and great struggle. I hope we can learn this about our prayers. Calling out to God is not a one-hit wonder. We don't just come to God with our pains and say, all right, God, i got a pain. I need for you to fix it. We pray it one time, and God fixes it. And a lot of people will bring their request and their, 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 their pain to God and expect God to fix it just like that. And if they don't, they'll stop praying. Well, he's not listening. He doesn't hear me. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't love me. Hannah, for years, prayed, believing, trusting that God had a plan, that God knew what was going on. Verse 17, this is huge. Check this out. Then Eli answered, the pastor hears what she has to say. Been praying and asking God for years. Pastor stands up and says, go in peace. And the God of Israel, grant your petition that you have made to him. God's going to answer your prayers, Hannah. And, he said, let your, and she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, and they went back into the house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Don't miss this. Hannah was granted peace by God before God answered her prayer. 
It says, the, 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 the pastor said, go in peace because God has heard you. Now listen, Hannah didn't get pregnant right then. Like Hannah didn't feel her, her stomach bump right then. It's not like all of a sudden like she was nine months pregnant right then, right when he said that. But here's what happened. God gave Hannah peace before God answered Hannah's prayers. Now, now some people get that mixed up. Some people here believe that the only way you are ever going to have peace is when God gives you what you're asking for. That's not how it works. Peace is not found in what God gives you. Peace is found in God. And Hannah got peace from God, even though she still didn't have a son. She still didn't know. Scripture says, in due time, she bore a son. I mean, if you've got a Bible, you need to pull your pencil out and you need to underline that in due time. Underline it, circle it, highlight it. Even if it's one of the Revo Bibles, like circle it anyway. Somebody reading it after you is going to need that. In due time. Here's the third indicator of spiritual growth. Not just when you trust in God, but when you trust in God's timing. You want to know if you're growing? If you actually trust in God's timing. Now, I know a lot of people that trust in God. And they'll tell you, like, I know people that say, I know God has a plan. I know God has a purpose. Here's my problem. It hadn't happened yet. <laughs> Here's my problem. I'm still waiting. We don't struggle with this idea that God's in control or that God has a purpose for our life. We struggle with the fact that God hasn't done it yet. You know, I've got friends that, you know, if, if you're here today and you're, you're single and you'd really like to be married, and, and here, here's the deal, you'll hear them say, I believe that God has a plan, I believe that God has a purpose, like, I trust God 100%, but here's where you find yourself out, hey God, not getting any younger, <laughs> everybody's getting married by me, like, clock's ticking, okay, alright, you know, and I, I'm, here is, like, ah, what's going on, why not now? Here's the deal, I want to remind you, you can't trust in God's purpose if you're not willing to trust in God's timing. You can't back up and say, I know God's in control, except for the timing part. <laughs> I know God has a plan, but he's late. Man, maybe you've been through a season in your life where you didn't have a job. And you're putting out resumes, and you're calling people, and you're, you're doing everything you can do. And you look up, and you're like, hey, I know that God has a plan. I know there's a purpose in this, but hey, man, I got bills to pay. Why ain't it here yet? I got friends that got two jobs. I'm just trying to get one. And we trust that God has a plan, but we struggle with the fact that we're still waiting on God's timing. And a lot of people walk away. I love that Hannah found peace, not in, not in God answering her prayers, but she found peace in God. And she left that temple and it says she ate and she rejoiced and she worshipped and she went home with peace because she learned how to trust in God's timing. Here's the kicker, in due time. Hey, that's for somebody that's struggling, man. In due time, in God's time, God's purpose comes true in your life. Trust in God's timing. You don't doubt that God has a plan, but oftentimes we struggle with how that plays out and what God's going to do. Here's a question when we struggle with, with God's timing. Here's a question that we often hear and ask ourselves, why me? You ever ask that? Why me, God? Why is this happening to me? Why is the good stuff happening to everybody else? Why do I have to struggle? Why do I have pain? Why don't I see this thing that I've prayed for for so long happen? Here's another growth indicator. If you can move from why me to teach me, that'll be a game changer. Hannah didn't leave there and say, why me? She said, all right, God, what do you have to teach me? What do I need to learn? What do I need to know about you? What do I need to know about myself? That maybe, God, that I can only learn as I find myself in this particular situation. That maybe if things were great and I had a thousand kids, that I wouldn't be able to learn this lesson. 
But I'm in this for a reason. So God, teach me. Instead of why me, teach me. In due time, Hannah conceived and had a son named Samuel. Here's what happens as we close out the story. Hannah made a promise to God. She said, God, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And here's what that meant for Hannah. She was going to take her son, Samuel, and take him up to the, the church and allow him to live at the church for the pastors to raise him, for him to be around the presence of God. Hannah had a great desire for her son to be a man of God. And so that was literally what she promised God. She says, I will give him back to you. Well, fast forward a few verses and a year passes, and Scripture says that Samuel has grown and is now weaned off of his mother, eating, eating real baby food now, and doesn't have to be attached to the mom. And here's what happens in, in verse 26. Hannah takes takes her son up to the, the church, up to, to see the priests, and, and, and brings her up here. And, and, in, and in 1 Samuel, the last, the last chapter, he says this. Here's my son. I made, a, I made a promise to you. Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman. She's speaking to Eli. I am the woman who was standing here in your presence a year ago when I prayed for a son and praying to the Lord, for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made for him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord. Hey, moms, can, can you just go here for a second? You've been praying for years for a son. And God gives you exactly what you want. And a year later, you realize you're getting ready to give up the thing that you prayed for so much to give it back to God. Because here's what happens. Hannah did not make a decision that was emotionally charged when her back was against the wall that she didn't mean. She made a vow to God. Here's the final step. You want to know if you're growing? Let me ask you this. Are you keeping your commitments to God? Come on, man. Think about it. How many times have we had our backs against the wall? We're sad. We're emotional. We're, we're, our life is in turmoil. And You're like me, right? You make some promises to God. <laughs> You're like, God, you get me out of this, and I'll do so-and-so. Like, God, save me from this, and I swear to you, I will never do it again. Like, I will never do this again. I will always listen to you. I will always be smart with this area of my life. I will let, Like, just get me out of this jam this one time, and I'm telling you, I will walk the straight path the rest of my life. Ever been there? Hannah did not simply make an emotionally charged decision and a, and a promise to God that she did not intend on keeping. But I'm telling you, it would have been really hard for a mom to walk that little one-year-old baby up to that church and hand it to the pastor and say, I want to give this child to the Lord. Can you imagine what it's like to lose a son? Let me tell you, who knows what it's like to lose a son? God. Because God sent his son Jesus to the earth to die for you and me. God knows what it's like to give up his only son for the sake of someone else. But here's the deal. Hannah was real. She said, I made a commitment to God, and I intend on keeping that promise to Him. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to close the service now. And uh, man, I, here's the thing. This is about a response. I don't want you to walk away from this service today and be like, wow, that was a crazy story. Hannah was a great woman of faith. I may name my next daughter Hannah just because of that, man. That's That's wild. I don't want you to walk away and be like, man, you know, that, uh, a story that happened a long time ago, that she had great faith, she did amazing things, and, and I'm, glad, I'm glad he told that story. I'm glad he shared that. That's not what this is about. See, we believe that 
God included this in his word to teach us, to, to allow scripture to act as a light that penetrates our hearts and that we come to a point in the service where we ask, so now what? Well, what about me, God? Are there some commitments in my life that I've made to you that I need to stop and think about right now? God, where's my trust at? Is it in you or is it in my family or is it in my job or in my finances or in my spouse or in any other area? God, who am I trusting in? Maybe you've been praying for a long time, asking God to do something incredible. And you believe that he'll do something and move in your life in a powerful way. The problem is he hasn't yet. And you need to spend some time reflecting on God's timing. And that you can't believe that God has a purpose for your life if you're not willing to believe that God has a timing in which he wants to do it. Maybe you're like Hannah. We're going to take the offering in a few moments. And maybe we, we honor God with our finances as his followers. And just like Hannah gave her son Samuel back to God and said, do something amazing with it. Use it in a powerful way so that other people's lives will be changed. Maybe that's our act of worship today. We just give. Say, here, God, it's all yours anyway. We want you to do something incredible with it. Either way, please don't leave here just having heard a good story being inspired or being challenged or learning about a great woman of, of Scripture. Let's ask ourselves, all right, God, what about me? What do you want me to do?